Welcome to Reframe and Reset Your Career, a podcast to help if you're looking for a job, feeling stuck in your career, or just trying to rediscover your why. I am your host, Harsha Boralessa, and this podcast came from my passion for neuroscience and psychology and their interaction with career and personal development. I will be interviewing recognized experts and successful professionals and asking them to share the insights and strategies that have helped their careers thrive. Implementing change is not easy and does take time, but I do hope that their stories will inspire you on your path to greater success and fulfillment in your career. Here are some highlights of today's episode most people really are very open to having a connection, to having a conversation, to having something. If you ask, we have to know our audience really well to make sure our words and our body language are in sync. And that's how you get people to be persuaded or informed or entertained or how we get them to feel. Understand that the audience is not there to judge you. They're there because they want to learn something from you. They're not your enemy. They're your friends. Welcome to episode 58 of the Reframe and Reset Your Career podcast. Our guest today is Jane Hansen. Before we begin, I wanted to thank all the supporters of the YouTube channel. We just passed 250 subscribers. Please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn and let me know what you think of the content. Do subscribe, like, and share. It does make such a difference. I also wanted to mention that over the summer, I will be working on some other projects. So we'll only be releasing one episode per month. Sorry about this. The next episode will be out on Wednesday, the 19th of July, followed by episodes on Wednesday, the 16th of August and Wednesday, the 13th of September. We will be back to normal in October with episodes coming out on Wednesday the 11th and Wednesday the 25th of October. Now back to the show. Jane grew up in Canby, rural Minnesota, coming to New York three decades ago to join NBC as an anchor and correspondent in New York. She co-anchored Today in New York and hosted Jane's New York. She covered events ranging from the tragedy of 9-11 to the joy of Yankees' victory parades to Wall Street and Washington. Most recently, she hosted a daily entertainment and lifestyle program, New York Live for NBC4. Jane has won nine Emmys, among many other awards. She has taught at Long Island University, Stern College, and the 92nd Street Y. She is currently a much sought-after communications coach, working with top-tier leaders in every field, while continuing to emcee, speak, and host broadcasts. Welcome, Jane. Thank you so much. That was way too long. No, no, no. I, I, I've got, I, got to show my audience that we've got credible guests. It's, it's the name of the game. It's social proof. So, yeah, that's true. Well, it's been, it's been a wonderful whirlwind career, and I've loved every minute of it. So and now and, I focus on the coaching, which is really fun too. And it, and it's funny, Jane. That's um, quite a normal reaction from my guests because they sort of look at their biographies. And I suppose most people, unless they're major narcissists, they yeah. don't really think of their lives as anything special. And they're simply going from one thing to another. I mean, obviously there's some strategy, there's some intention, but really they don't think of themselves as special. And and one thing I, I like to show is that, you know, people like yourself, you're, you're, you're a, a normal person, um, and but you've done great things, which I think is amazing. 
Oh, thank you so much. And and you mentioned my little hometown of Canby, Minnesota, which had a slogan when I was growing up that was be all you can be in Canby. <laughs> and literally, we didn't have um we didn't have a stoplight in the town. We had a four-way stop right at the center of Main Street and the highway, but uh it was in the middle of nowhere. And for people listening to this or watching this who may remember a show called Little House on the Prairie, Laura Ingalls Wilder wrote the books about it. Well, my little hometown was very close to the to the actual Walnut Grove, Minnesota, where that was supposed to have taken place. So it is literally the prairie. You can stand in a hill and you can see for miles in any direction. Fantastic. So I, I'm a big fan of the arts, Jane. Is there a performer song, book or film which you'd like to share with our audience today? You know, I am a voracious reader, but I love to read spy thrillers because, and that's actually what I like to watch too. Although I, I must confess that I stayed up late last night watching the final episode of Ted Lasso. Okay. Because <laughs> I, it, UK, you know that, the soccer. <laughs> U.S. football means <laughs> soccer meets, um, you know, with the crazy characters in it. I, I'm fascinated by that show, but living in New York City, one has access to tons of, of Broadway plays and theater. I haven't been to one recently, but um, I would have to say if somebody hasn't seen like the show Hamilton, they certainly should see that. In terms of singing, you play it and I'll dance to it badly. Um, so <laughs> I, I'm, you know, the, the, the beauty of having done what I did for NBC all those years is I had access to every form of culture that existed in New York City, which of course has the, some of the most amazing culture in the world. And and in some cases around the globe, because I've traveled a lot. And so to me, having that access was so great. I mean, one tiny little nugget going back to growing up in that tiny town where I didn't have access to you know, all these great cultural things. If I wanted to learn about, let's say paintings, for example, I would go look up before the internet, microfilms, right? And in the local library. So I raised my daughter in New York. And when we wanted to go see artwork, we would walk over to the Metropolitan Museum of Art and see the real work of art, the real Dali, the real Degas, the real Picasso. And I remember that to me was such a privilege and an honor. And, you know, my kid who, this was like, yeah. Okay. So we took our little <laughs> class to the to the Metropolitan, and we sat with our art books, and we sketched some of you know some of the God's ballerinas. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> you don't know how lucky you are. So I think without arts, entertainment, culture, that we need it to be to express because we express so much through that in our lives, and it's so very very vital to us. No, I, I just love that. And I, I'm I'm not a very good musician, but I love music. And one mm -hmm. interesting th thing that I came across was that the musicians, what they're trying to do through their arts and, and all artists are to try and convey an idea and a feeling um, through their art. And mm -hmm. actually it uh, to make the, the listener or, or the audience feel this thing, like say in a book, my, one of my favorite books is um, The Great Gatsby. And it's all about like time and regret and loss but actually, it's not really explicitly talking about that. And I suppose when you're talking about communication, you know, when you're thinking about messaging and conveying ideas, that's um, a, a key a part of communication, uh, isn't it, Jane? 
It certainly is. And I will tell you that in almost every single one of my training sessions, I use a quote from the poet Maya Angelou. And the quote is, people will forget what you said. They will forget what you did, but they will never forget how you made them feel. And not never has that been more important now in this post-COVID era that we're in, because we all learned so much then about relationships and connections and what we missed. And, and in the world of business, in any world today, being able to show vulnerability, compassion, and feeling, just like Maya said, is crucial to being successful. And, and and one interesting thing that struck me when you said that was that I think when you're communicating uh, and say this podcast or any a form of communication, it's it, obviously the facts are important, but it's very much about how you're making the audience feel. Um, and you know, when I'm looking for guests, you know, you, you want people who you know, come across in a certain way, they have a good vibe. And obviously their um, background is important. And I suppose with the show, it's about trying, hopefully it's a co-creation between the two of us, making our audience feel good. It's about having fun, which I clearly got from a lot of your vi videos when I was doing the research. And wow. I think it's, it's, it's a, clearly these are difficult issues we're talking about careers, finding careers, but you mm -hmm. want to do it in a lighthearted way without preaching to people. I, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, we lead by example. And I think we learn by listening. And so listening is one of the crucial things I talk about as well, too, because being a good, active listener is critically important to being, again, to being a success. This notion of what is good communication and good communication is absolutely crucial for whatever you're doing in your world, be it with your family, with your friends, with your business associates, with where you want to move next in your career, just dealing with a, you know, a salesperson in a store or, or at the grocery store, whatever you're doing, it's crucial to really know how to understand somebody else. And I think that's really important, especially in our world today where we're so polarized. No, totally understand that. And and actually, sort of, if we go back to the beginning, back to Canby, Minnesota. So uh -huh. obviously you, you grew up there in a, this small town, but then you uh -huh. went on to graduate with a degree in broadcast journalism, I think, from the University of Minnesota. So why did, you, why did you study that? And was there a particular strategy or an intention behind that? Well, I wanted to be, um, when you grow up in a little teeny tiny uh, town where most my great grandparents and grandparents actually settled the community. So I was related to almost everybody in the town. Given that, my curiosity, which by the way is another really cool, I think, attribute to have is to be curious. So my curiosity from the time I was a little girl led me to want to know about the world. And my dad, who I believe was my biggest proponent and biggest supporter, ever, because he always told me I could do anything I wanted to do. He, When I was a little girl, he used to read to me from newspapers and tell me this is what's happening in the world. And so I wanted to go to that place. And then I wanted to go to that place. And then I wanted to go to that place. And, and I realized that the only way I was going to be able to do that was to become a journalist. And the broadcast part of it wasn't totally intentional uh, until I got to college. And I'd done some acting and, you know, in school like you do. And I really enjoyed that. 
And I had a, you know, an advisor mentor at college that was, you know, I was assigned to. And he said to me, you really should try television. And I thought, oh, I don't know if I can do that. You know, that's a little scary thing. And and he just kept talking to me about it. And I finally decided, you know what, I am going to try this medium. And it, it turned out to be just something I absolutely loved and adored and was fortunate enough to be able to to move upwards in that world very quickly. You know, was it intentional? Yes. The journalism part, the broadcast part kind of came into play close to the end of my college time when I thought, this is fun. And I get to stand in front of the camera and talk about things. And, you know, people are listening to me and, and then always thinking about who's that wider, because I'm the conduit to the people that are watching or listening, just as we are here. We are the conduits of this information that we're sharing. It may be you and I talking, but we're talking with a purpose. And the purpose is to give information to the people that are that are, you know, that are here with us today. Because otherwise we could just be, you know, on the phone or having a coffee. But the the, the importance of being, you know, a broadcast journalist, for example, or the importance of these podcasts is that you share information and you give people maybe some tools that can help them, or you give them something to think about, or you maybe entertain them, whatever it is. We're, you know, we are, we're messengers in a sense. And, and I always thought that was kind of a cool thing to do. And, and Jude, the funny thing that it struck me when you were saying that was that this podcast essentially started from during lockdown. I was watching um, a video on YouTube and there was a guy, I don't know if you've ever come across him called Christian Bush, who wrote a book called The Serendipity Mindset. And it's about luck and creating luck. Um, mm-hmm. And it really resonated me with me. And it was during uh, lockdown. And then I thought, oh, he seems like a good guy. He's written a book about luck. Why don't I just like hit him up on LinkedIn? And I saw that he actually knew somebody that I knew that he was like a sort of a second order connection. So I, I, I messaged him and then, you know, we, we, um, I got him on a, a webinar and then I actually got him as my first guest on my podcast. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. It's cool. But I mean, it took a, a year and a half. It wasn't, yeah, it was a long, long, Great, long of, process. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the funny thing is I found out afterwards that he actually didn't know the person that I was connected to very well. It was just like a random connection, but it, but it actually does show that if you go outside yourself and reach out to people, but also, as you're saying, it's about us trying to co-create some content, which hopefully mm-hmm. would inspire people. And you never know who um, is going to like it or who will listen to it. Um, but it's putting it out into the world and then hoping that good things will happen. I mean, right. what, what do you think? Yeah, well, I mean that that's true. It's about touching it's about touching people. But one of the things you just said is really important and it's about this ability to connect. I think that sometimes in our world where we have these little things and we're like glued to them and we I don't know how many you know how many real conversations we have in a day. We're so busy with our texting and our emailing and you know our TikTok and our social media and all that kind of stuff that that um, I, I worry about that lack of having real relationships because relationships are at the core of what separates us from any other living creature, and it separates us from. I mean, if if you can figure out how to make those connections and use those connections. And one little thing that 
I have tried to do when I began my own business and became an entrepreneur was I would literally devote an hour, at least an hour a week to going on to LinkedIn and other social media and find people that I wanted to connect with. And sometimes it was random because there'd be somebody that I knew that knew somebody else. And so, but I discovered through that, that most people really are very open to having a connection, to having a conversation, to having something if you ask. And so many times we don't ask, we're afraid to. So I'm here to tell you, don't be afraid to make a connection. What's the worst thing that could happen? Somebody says, no, okay, big deal. You've got to be able to to kind of have the guts to connect. And you can start simply. You can start simply with just liking something and then you can make a comment. And it's not you asking like, oh, please come on my show. Because I'm sure that's not the first thing you did. You did it gradually. But you can you can say you like an article that maybe they've posted um, and you comment on it saying, I really agree with this. And here's one little added thought I have. It's really simple and it takes such a, a little bit of time, but people respond to that. So I would really encourage those who are, you know, I'm reframing or resetting their careers to think about that's one way of actually making some interesting connections. I call it BC before COVID. I remember like I worked at 30 Rockefeller Plus and a lot of people know what 30 Rock is in New York City. And I remember I'd ride in elevators with people and I would start talking to them. And I just say, you know, for example, remember one time I was looking at there's some guy in the elevator and he had this great tie. And I looked at that tie and I said, wow, that tie, I've never seen anything like it. And he goes, well, my father did some producing for the Beatles and this was his tie. And I said, really? And then he proceeded to tell me about all this unbelievable memorabilia he had. So we turned it into a news story, but you never know what somebody may have and what you may discover opening up a conversation over something, something silly, something funny, something that you may notice about them, whatever it is, it just takes a little bit of guts to do it. I just love that point. And I think, yeah, as you're saying, people are much more willing to engage, but clearly the opening gambit shouldn't be, give me something, give me a job, introduce me to somebody, um, right. be, yeah, be sensible about it. Um, because I love that phrase, you know, you don't ask somebody to marry them on the first date. That's true. <laughs> if you do, cuckoo. Yeah, exactly. Unless you're watching The Bachelor or The Bachelor, yeah, exactly. whatever those shows are. But 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 actually, I, I I noticed in your bio that after graduating, you you ended up in I think South Dakota and then moved to mm-hmm. Iowa. So how was that grounding? Because I mean, clearly those aren't the sort of the you know the the biggest jobs, but clearly there's a lot you can learn by being you know in, in those places and doing everything yourself. Well, what's interesting about it is in my very first job, which was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, very close to my hometown. And honestly, a little story about that. So I've told you about my father as being a great, uh, wonderful believer in me. I also had one his youngest sister, and they came from a large family, um, was also very, she really pushed me, but she didn't let me get by with anything. And so when I was offered that job, I graduated from college early. So I was 20 and she happened to be at my house at the time back in camp because I was back home for a little while taking care of my younger brothers because my parents were gone. And I got a phone call from this television station in South Dakota offering me this job. And I said, no, thanks. And I hung up and she said, you offered a job. And I said, yeah. And she goes, 
well, you need to take that job. And I said, no, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Europe. I'm going to backpack. I'm going to have this great time. And she goes, and who do you think is paying for that? And I said, dad. And she goes, he spent enough money on you. Either you're calling back and accepting that job, or I'm going to do it for you. Since you can't do that, that's illegal. And she goes, watch me. And so I took that job and I'm forever grateful to my aunt Eunice because I know that what she did that day led me down the path that I have since, you know, that since created, I wasn't there for very long. And, um, and I got, and, and one of those things in those first jobs in television is you have to do everything. I had to shoot my own video, um, which was pretty funny because you'd put up a tripod pod and then you'd run around at the front of it and, and, you know, do your little stand up hoping that, you know, the camera didn't like this or it was only, you know, that your whole head showed and you'd go back and look at it and sometimes take a few tries. So you got in the right spot and then edit it. I produced newscasts. I anchored shows. I did everything. And I was the only woman they had in this newsroom. So it taught me so much. And, and then I moved to Cedar Rapids after that. And that's when I got the attention of being able to go to New York. So it was, yes, it's very grounding and it teaches you a lot of things that I needed to know later. Now, when I arrived in New York, I had an entire crew I had a videographer, I had a sound guy, I had a lighting guy, I had a producer, and I had, and then we had um, these couriers that would zip around in motorcycles because New York traffic has been awful since day one. And they would, and they would take me back to the studio. So I went from doing everything myself to having an entire crew taking care of me. But in today's world, We've kind of gone back because cameras have gotten so much smaller and and you can do things, you know, you can send it back so easily that now a lot of people, a lot of reporters, once again, in a big city like New York, are shooting their own stories and editing them. Yeah, no, I, I just love that, Jane, because actually, say with this podcast and the YouTube channel, I do everything myself. And actually, the good thing about that is that you get to learn very quickly. I'm mean, clearly, I, I'm from a finance background, so I have no, this is completely alien to me, but you uh -huh. learn very quickly. And if you're enthusiastic about it, you can pick uh -huh. up stuff really quickly. And YouTube is amazing. Basically, everything you need in life is on YouTube. Right there. You just right check there. it out. Yeah. If you have an issue, you just find a 15-year-old to help you. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you ask them in a very nice way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. But but actually, just talking about your big break in New York, I, I just love this story, and you have to share it with our listeners. There used to be these kind of headhunters out in back, you know, this is quite a while ago, that would be looking out in the country for talent. And so there was a woman and she had sent my my tape around and she'd reached out to me and said, um, are you interested in moving? I said, yes, I want to move to the East Coast. And obviously I wasn't thinking New York then because I, I was thinking, I don't know, Hartford, Connecticut or someplace like that that's a bigger city, but you know, not New York City. Anyway, so she sent my tape to the CBS station in New York and they called me up and flew me out for an interview to do their 11 o'clock newscast, their premier newscast. Now, I'm at that time, I'm 23 years old. I could no more do that than the man on the moon. I was so green and bright. And so they realized that when I arrived. So I went, but I went back home and I told everybody I knew, I've decided I'm moving to New York. And they're all laughing at me thinking, yeah, right, sure. All these people in the TV world, because, you know, we all knew each other, right? We're all growing up together. 
So about a month later, I got a phone call and it's this guy and he goes, hi, Ron Kershaw, WNBC in New York. And I went, yeah, right. And I hung up the phone and he called back and he said, I think we got disconnected. And I said, who is this? And he said, I told you, I'm, you know, my blah, blah, blah from WNBC. And I went, this isn't funny. And I hung up. He called me back the third time. He said, write my phone number down before you hang up on me again. I said, all right. So I wrote the number down and then I hung up. So now I thought I'm going to call that number back and it's going to be people that are saying, ha ha, Jane, we pulled a good one on you. I call and and um, this woman picks up the phone and she goes, WNBC TV, New York, uh, Ron Kershaw's <laughs> office. And I went, oh, and then I said, um, hi, my name is Jane Hansen. And she she starts to laugh <laughs> and she said, we wondered if you were going to call us back. He's never had anybody hang up on him like that, much less somebody that's, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. And she said, hold on, let me put him on. So she put him on and he's laughing too. And I said, I'm so sorry. I thought this was a joke. And, and he's like, he said, I want to fly you out here for an interview. I've seen some of your tapes. Uh, I want to talk to you about a reporter's job. And two weeks later, he hired me. So to this day, because when you're coming from a town like Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and you're moving to New York City, it's like you're going from, you know, the, the, the candy store to runny Hershey's or something. So I um, I think for him, that showed the kind of chutzpah that maybe one needed that I dared to hang up on him. So I'm kind of convinced that that's why he hired me. But we turned out to have a, a terrific relationship. He was a wonderful boss. And I had an amazing career. And uh, of course, here's the other thing. So I get to New York and I walk in day number one and he hands me a bunch of cards and I say, what are these? He goes, well, one's a voice coach. I went, what? I thought you loved me. He goes, well, that, that those um, flat A's and those drop G's, you know, that Midwestern twang, not going to work for me. And then I said, oh, and the second one was for a stylist for clothing. I went, now I don't dress well. And he goes, well, it's a lot, not New York style. And then the third card was for um, um, a hairstylist. I'm going, I, like, you're trying to remake me. He goes, no, 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 no. We're just polishing you a little. So anyway, there you go. No, I just, I just love that story. Uh, but but you didn't see from the 212 area code that um, it was somebody from New York, um, Jane? Um, wouldn't that have been a given away? Well, now, now let's remember that this was a while ago, and I don't think that I had, and it was a landline. Oh, so okay, I'm okay. sure I had. Um, um, well, ID or whatever. Phone ID. Yeah. Cool. Okay. No, but I, oh. I just love that story because, and also I think, if you meet sort of um, famous or well-known people, um, I, yeah, it, clearly, look, you should you should treat them with a certain level of respect and gravitas. But on the other hand, you should treat them like normal people because mm -hmm. I think if you try and be something you're not, then you come across in this sort of really fake and, and phony sort of way. And and for me, I, I've met not that I've met a lot of famous people, but sometimes you know if you're at a dinner or something, you meet somebody, and then you just have a normal conversation, and then afterwards um, you find out there's some you know big cheese or whatever. Um, but they they haven't tried to sort of impress you or and 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 they also think more of you. Um, I mean, what what do you think, Jane? Well, I agree with that. And I have found actually what's interesting. I have found that some of the the most famous people, because I've interviewed a lot of them, are a lot humbler and a lot yeah. more grounded than you think, which I which in my mind sometimes means that 
could lead. Maybe that's why they're successful. I don't know. I find people who are really kind of grasping for stuff. They're the ones that I find to be not as real, if that's, that makes any sense. Um, I, that, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I do, I do think that one of the measures of success is how you treat people. There are, there are people in this world who have immense talent. You talked earlier about how singing and how you love music, but you know, you're not, you can't sing and neither can I, by the way, but when somebody's got a beautiful voice and they and they you know they've got this immense talent that doesn't give them license to be cruel or mean or or above all of us they're just human beings and i think in my in all of my interviewing that's one of the one of the things i've always tried to recognize was that they are just people too and that i'm interviewing them for some particular reason for some story for some something that's happened to them maybe some wonderful piece of work they've done whatever it is there's a reason i'm interviewing them and i want to make sure that that story comes out in the best possible way that we really tell the story effectively this the big word now of course is authenticity we all want to be authentic we're overusing it perhaps but what does being authentic mean? It means being always true to who you are and not t- trying to put on airs. I actually had somebody tell me once that I needed to have more of a, um, I needed to act like a more authoritative personality because I was on TV. And I said, but that doesn't help me. And especially when I was trying to get a story, trying to get someone to talk to me, I had to resonate to them at the same place they were. And if I was going to try and be high and mighty, they're going to throw me off their doorstep. Yeah, no, I just love that point. And I think it's about trying to get some connection and however you do that. And if you're not on the same wavelength, and, and also I find with interviews that um, if you can build trust and you know, I'm, look, clearly I'm not looking for some sort of gotcha moment, but I do no. think that if you can get those nuggets or insights, um, which may not have been shared before, like your aunt Eunice, I don't know if you've shared that before. I haven't heard heard that story. I've never talked about it. No, I haven't told that story. Yeah. Um, thank, thank you, aunt Eunice for that. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, and, and, and clearly I think it's just about, you know, trying to form a connection um, and, and you know, trying to showcase that person in the, the best light possible. You know, I, I just love that. Um, but one thing I, I find fascinating is that, so obviously you had this you know, wonderful career at NBC and you did you know, a lot of live TV. Now, clearly that's a very stressful scenario because, you know, if you make a mistake, you can't go back and edit it. Um, how did you deal with that, that pressure, James? As, I think that would be fascinating for our listeners. I love live TV. I absolutely and completely love it. A lot of people don't because it's where you have to, you're, you're running by your wits and you have to think on your feet in that moment. And for some reason, when I'm live, it just works. I, I just, I just love it. One of the reasons I love it is because there's no producer that can put words in my mouth and they can't edit out. It's for exactly that reason. So I've, I pride myself on my ability to 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 have to cover live situations, and I don't I don't know what it is, but somehow it just always worked for me. And I always tried to do something that was unusual, like walk and talk, and you know, and say, "Wait, you got to look over here and see this." Um, you know, I remember once I was doing a story in New Jersey about a a missing kid, yeah. and 
the police had gotten so far as to call, reach out to a psychic. Wow. And and then there'd been some some word that somebody might have seen this kid in this one neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And this and the psychic had said earlier, it's it's a place where you're going to hear a constant hammering. That's where that kid is. So we're in this neighborhood where people say they've heard this kid. Mm-hmm. And and I said to the audience, I go, remember, we brought you this story about this psychic. I want you to listen. And in that neighborhood was constant pounding. Wow. And so I just let that go. And, and the studio's like, what the hell are you doing, Jane? <laughs> and then I said, is this kid here? I don't know. But I'm just telling you that there are two coincidences here. And do you believe in coincidence? Now, bottom line is that's they didn't find the kid there. But I just remember doing that because it was one of those things in the moment. I thought, well, this is interesting. I'm just going to do this. I was also the first person on the air at NBC on the morning of 9-11. Oh, wow. I was sitting in the studio and I was wait. It was fashion week in New York City. And I was waiting to go to a fashion show after I was finishing the last morning cut in I had to do. So it was obviously, you know, 840. 244, something like that. And a producer says to me in my ear, we're going on the air live right now because a plane has just crashed into the World Trade Center. And I said, well, what kind of a plane? What do we know? And she goes, nothing, but you're on, start talking. So I, and I was on the air for eight hours that day. Wow. And so what I did was I literally had to say, we're bringing you this live report. Something has just happened downtown at the World Trade Center. We were using our camera then that was at the top of the Empire State Building that had a straight line shot all the way down. And so we can see the damage and we can see the smoke. What we don't, we just don't have any other information. And so as they do, the producers and bookers and everybody were searching for somebody to find to talk to us. So they found this janitor who lived on West 12th Street, which is right along the river and had a direct sight and the plane had come over his head. We thought at first that it was maybe a small plane that was yeah. misguided, yeah. but on a beautiful September morning like that, that would be really weird. Yeah. And this, this we're a minute and a half or two minutes into this broadcast and in this live report. And this janitor says his name was Anthony. He goes, I said, was it a small plane, a big plane? He goes, it was a big plane. It was wow. silver and gray. And and our silver and blue, and and it was big. And I and I swear, I swear, it revved up its engines, it smashed into that building. Wow. And you got to pray for him because everybody's dead. Now, yeah. turns out Anthony was actually right. Yes. But this was at the beginning of the broadcast, yeah. and I, at the beginning of the coverage, and I I said, I said Anthony, we can't speculate about things like that. So let's just, and I had nowhere else to go. I had no information. I had no pictures. I had nothing. So I said, let's just repeat. Let's just go over what you do know, what the facts are. So you're taking out the garbage and you hear this plane. And he said it was flying so low and blah, 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 blah. And and then, you know, and so that's where we recognize that this was a commercial aircraft versus being a small plane. And, uh, but again, he ended by saying, he said, I'm telling you, I don't know how anybody could, could have survived that. I just don't know how they could have. And what about those people in that building? And so, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that moment because I'm thinking, you know, I'm pulling back saying we can't say those things. We don't know that. And, you know, and then by that point, we started to get a little more information. 
But meantime, I'm thinking we had the true story right there. And, and it's interesting, James, because I suppose in that point, you have to think, okay, is this person credible? Is he telling the truth? Is he a fantasist? You, you have no idea. Um, no, we don't. But, but I mean, but what we do know is what he told us he saw, yeah. which was, you know, turned out to be correct information that it was a commercial jet, that it was indeed, um, you know, one of the, the 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 two aircraft that hit the building because that were, that were the colors of the airplane. Yes. And and he, you know, and, and we could see his line of sight, so we knew, so we knew that part was true. The speculation part, we obviously had to dismiss. Of course, yeah. No, I mean that's just fascinating. I, I didn't realize actually you had done all of that on nine eleven itself. I mean that would have been it's obviously the pressure of having to cover that. Wow, covering it at the same time that as things progressed. I mean, I'm grateful I didn't know what was going to happen yes, next yes, because yes. that would have been impossible. Yeah. But trying to maintain your composure yeah. when it's your own city that's being hit. My husband happened to have been downtown at that wow. time, at a meeting at a building right next to the World Trade Center. I didn't hear from him for hours. My daughter was in school. And of course, every other kid's parents rushed to school to pick them up. Well, my daughter is yeah. still in school. And I'd gotten a message, you know, to the teachers to say, look, I'm on the air. I'm not going to be able to come pick her up. Somebody's got to take care of her until we can get, you know, somebody to come get her. We we didn't talk about it a lot until recently. And I said, what was that like that day? And she said, every so often they turn on a television so I could hear your voice, but they wouldn't let me see the pictures. Because um, <laughs> um, she's a little kid. Yeah, of course. And so the decision was made that I was going to stay at a hotel close to, you know, to Rock Center because we were going, you know, we were doing round the clock coverage. And so they brought me clothes and then they left town, but they brought me clothes to, you know, to wear and, you know, cosmetics and stuff, you know, stuff so that I could at least take a shower. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Be presentable, yeah. So as they pull up in front of the hotel and I meet them down below, there were, um, Air Force jets that were circling the city and protecting one flew right overhead and all of us, all three of us ducked to the ground because we, I mean, I mean, obviously there was no planes weren't flying then. So we knew it couldn't, but still it was frightening as, as it could be. And it was eerie and creepy, but that's, that was that day. Yeah. Well, I mean, that sounds like a a scene from a, you know, action movie or, just crazy. Wow. No, that's that's an amazing story. But um, yeah. so just I, I know we're sort of you know, short on time. And I just also want to talk about the work that you do now, Jane, because I think it's it's so important. Because for me, um, you know, when I was working in finance, I, you know, there, there's a lot of technical aspects, but the communication came at a very high level when you're trying to persuade people. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, I didn't fully realize how important it was um, in terms of, you know, you're, what you're trying to do, I think, in life is trying to get across ideas, messages, persuade people. Look, you can't force people to move from their point of view without giving them some uh, evidence and some ideas. But I think messaging is so important. I mean, what do you think about communication? And and, and maybe tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing these days. I work with clients from just about every industry and fairly high-level clients, um, CEOs, um, people, founders, um, startups, you name it, I work with them. And I've, we talk a lot about the messaging because what I will say 
to a CEO, for example, I'll say, what's the top message you want people to understand about your company? And he'll, he or she will give me nine different messages. And I say, you get one, you get one. That is hard for people who are really inside a company because they have so many things they want to say. It's like you can't see the forest for the trees. So we talk first about in every instance, what are you going to be doing? Are you giving a speech? Are you doing an interview? Are you um, having a town hall meeting for your for your staff? Are you just doing, let's say, an analyst call or an earnings call? Are you going out to speak to your high school? Whatever it is, you've got to have one key message that you want that audience to walk out the door with. And, and then you have to build everything around that. So let's say my goal here today is to tell people that communication is critical and you have to focus on what is your main purpose. Okay, now how do I figure out what my main purpose is? Write down a whole bunch of different words about what you want to do, what you want to create, where you want to be. Write all those words down and then circle the really important ones. And then from that, think about What's the bottom line message to all of this? What is this saying? So for me, my, my message is, I want you to learn how to give your key message easily. And I'm going to give you a little formula to do it. So the formula is key message. I want you to walk out the door thinking X. Then a little context. Up until now, you might have believed in Y. But things have changed. Here's why they've changed. Number one. We have different we have different methods of communicating now. Number two, we have a much lesser attention span, which, by the way, in the U.S. is eight seconds. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and then number three, I like three points. And then the third one would be, and I can deliver that message very easily to you. So it's really thinking your your bottom line. What do you want them to walk out the door with? And then three things that prove it. And one of the best ways to prove it is telling a little story about why community, you know, why it's important, um, why we need to hire this person, why we need to do this project, why we need to spend the money on this, why we need to take a, a, a trip somewhere. Why do we need? And, and this it's just it's really easy if you put it into a formula because people sometimes don't trust themselves. You know, there's a um, there's a phobia. It's called glossophobia. It's the fear of public speaking. And at one point, 87 percent of, of, of the adults in this world have it. It might be because you're you got to do something at the last minute and all of a sudden you're freaking out. Or maybe it's because you're given an opportunity and it scares you. Yep. Uh, we all have it. You are not alone in having a fear. So help yourself out by doing really good prep work and making sure that the things that you have to say are going to communicate with the audience you have. So know who your audience is. That's why I asked you before we started, who's the audience? Because I might be saying really wonderful things, but if, my, if everything I'm talking about is geared towards women, men are going to turn me off. Yeah. Or what's the generation? You're not going to use the same word speaking to a Gen Z or that you're going to use talking to a baby boomer. You're, um, I might not use the same word speaking to a, a, a crowd in the UK that I would in the US. So you, uh, or 
in Canby versus New York City. <laughs> you you have to know your audience. So really investigate who that audience is. The message is the same. It's just the way that you say it and the words that you use might be different. If I'm a scientist talking to other scientists, I'm going to use those multi-symbolic words. But if I'm a scientist talking to a bunch of fourth graders, I'm not using those words, even though I'm still trying to explain how something works. We have to know our audience really well. Then we have to, to make sure our words and our body language are in sync. And that's how you get people to be persuaded or informed or entertained or how we get them to feel. No, I just love that. And say you know, for, for our listeners, if they um, they have to give a big presentation or a sales pitch, what are your sort of three top tips for trying to be the best that you can on that day? You know, obviously, apart from preparation and knowing your audience and the things that you've just talked about. Well, obviously, before you go on making the presentation, I suggest some breathing exercises, one of which is I breathe in for three counts, hold it for three counts, breathe out for three counts and do it three times. So that really helps us. We breathe through our diaphragm, our voice becomes a little bit lower. We sound more confident then takes the butterflies away. Um, focus on your purpose. Why are you there? What do you want to accomplish? And and have, you know, believe in yourself. And if the subject warrants it, make sure you start with a big smile understand that the audience is not there to judge you. They're there because they want to learn something from you. They're not your enemy. They're your friends. Have great eye contact with them because eye is the gateway to the soul. And I divide a room into three pieces of pizza. And I start by looking down the middle and I talk to those people. One phrase. I When I finish that part or that sentence, I move to one other side of the audience, do the same thing, and then the other side. And then from there on, you can look at people individually. But eye contact is super important. Try not to have a barrier between you and the audience. Don't use a podium. Walk on the stage, but don't pace. You know, sometimes when we're anxious or nervous, we start to talk really, 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 really fast. And nobody can hear a word you're saying. So less is more. Speak with confidence. The reason you're there is you're the expert. So be the expert. No, I, I just love that. No, it's fantastic. And and say you're in an interview scenario, Jane, and you're trying to you know, come across in the best way possible. Any mm-hmm. thoughts for our listeners as to how they can improve how they come across? Yes. First of all, we want you to walk into the room with your posture upright, your hand out, strong, firm handshake, and be very interested in the person that you're interviewing with. If you're going into someone's office, I want you to notice something in that office that you can connect to. Let's say that you're a sailor and you see a picture on the wall of a sailboat and you go, you like to sail? And they say, oh yeah, I'm I, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you go, so do I. And all of a sudden you found something to engage with. Um, maybe it's a picture of their family. What a beautiful family, you know, blah, 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 whatever it is. If you're, even if you're doing things virtually, do your homework. You know, that little thing called Google, do some homework. So get to figure out who this person is. So you can walk in the door knowing something about them that that makes the first thing it does. It is, it gives them a great first impression because 
they suddenly realize that you do your due diligence and you learn something about someone. And, and that's very impressive to people. And then make sure that you ask questions too. Come in prepared to ask some questions and just be, be curious. And look, a job interview is not just about, it's not just them interviewing you. It's you interviewing them too, because you want to find out enough about this person and this company to see whether you really want to work there. I know we all kind of walk in, please hire me, but maybe you don't want them to hire you. Maybe it's not the right fit. And you only find that out by doing, by having some, some really good questions to ask them. There's just such amazing points. And you're sort of almost channeling uh, Dr. Robert Cialdini, the famous influence guy, because he talks about commonalities and this whole idea of trying to find out, you know, did you go to the same school? Do you like the same sort of food? Are you a tennis player? Are you a sailor? And I think when you can establish that common link, it sort of it brings you closer together. And then you can start talking about uh, more um, important things. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, one of the funny things at NBC is we used to have golf. There'd be a lot of golf outings. And and I was one of the few women there that played golf. So I was always being sent out to kind of be like the top, the, <laughs> the stereotypical woman going to the, these golf outings. And I remember so many times that male members of our team um, would be out with the bosses and we have, because they all played golf. And of course, we girls couldn't do that. I mean, deals are done in places that are not in an office. Okay. So if you can create these bonds with people that have that commonality, yeah. that can become very important to what you're doing. If somebody says to you, hey, I have an idea for a possible job for you, or if somebody you should meet that could be a great connection, never turn it down. The one thing I've learned in my life is get your foot in the door and sometimes no means yes. Oh, Jen, I just love the fact that you're a golfer. You, do you still play? Have you got a panic out? Yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Oh, yeah. What, what Badly, but I play. You, what are you playing off? What? I'm not telling you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you're playing. Yeah, my- That's- that's the key thing. That's the key thing. I love to play. Um, I am not, I haven't played as much recently because I've just been so, I've been so busy. I, I travel a lot for, for yes. business, but I love to play. I would love to be better. I think golf is a very difficult game. I do think that having an ability to play that game can be very good in business, as can tennis, as can uh, a lot of other, you know, a lot of other sports. And I would encourage people to think of it not as just recreation time, but as relationship building time. I, I have to admit, I play a little bit of golf, but I'm more of a tennis player. My dad is a big golfer, but um, I just find it takes too long. <laughs> but, just play nine holes. Yeah, exactly. I would love to reinvent <laughs> the game and make it 13 holes long. <laughs> 18 is yeah 18 is too long but Jane yeah. um unfortunately I would love to carry on talking for another hour but I know that you're a very busy person which is a good thing and I just wanted to give you uh, an opportunity to tell our listeners how they can connect with you because I know that you have the web website uh janehanson.com you're in uh-huh. LinkedIn is there any other uh, places that uh, people can connect with you sure I mean you can find me I'm all over social media but also my email is really easy. It's jane at janehanson.com. And that's S-O-N. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, that would be great. 
I'm always happy to answer questions and give people, you know, tips if they want them. Obviously, you know, Jane is a specialist uh, coach in communication and videos and helping CEOs. So clearly, if there are any um, of them out there, uh, they should get in touch with you to improve their improve their messaging, um, come up with a succinct way of uh, coming across. Because I do think if you can figure out a way of, say, I mean, if you're meeting people at, say, a cocktail party or whatever, have that elevator pitch, two to three minutes, and say, look, this is what I stand for. But I also Mm -hmm. think on the internet, if you can have your digital footprint, you know, whether Mm -hmm. it's videos or podcasts or whatever, that also creates an impression about people and then they think oh jane yeah she's fun no nonsense uh professional um and and, and it's amazing how just a couple of minutes of video they can absolutely so much in terms of brand make video your friend it's such an amazing tool and by the way if you are getting ready for an interview or getting ready for um, a presentation video yourself on your phone set it up just video Take a look at it. See what you like. See what you don't like. Nobody else ever has to see it. <laughs> Unless it's so good you want to show it off to your friends and family over the weekend. But Fantastic. Wow. And Jane, is there, is there a book coming out? Because you've had such an amazing life. Um, you know, there's so many great stories. Uh, you, should, you should write one. Maybe. There might be. <laughs> well, when it's out, um, we can carry on. Because I feel really bad. We've only literally talked about your current work for about 15 minutes. And we've been talking about all your great stories from Tambi and Aunt Eunice. And <laughs> <turning> <laughs> well, I'm happy to down. talk about anything, anytime. We could do another session. We'll do another one. That'll be Excellent. fun. Fantastic. All right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no. Fantastic. Well, Jane, thank you so much uh, for your time. Really appreciate it. And enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. And you too and everybody else. Bye. Reach Bye. out. Thank you so much for listening and staying to the end. That was such a fun interview. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, please subscribe to the podcast, which is available on your favorite providers, and subscription is free. If you wish to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in this episode, please take a look at the show notes, which are available online. Thanks once again for listening. Wishing you success with your career. I hope you will join me again in the future.